Well, welcome to Mission Church. Aloha, everybody. My name is Gordon Wong, in case you don't recognize me anymore, because it's been a couple of weeks since uh, (laughs) I've uh, been able to preach the word here. But aren't we thankful for the people that have shared in uh, in the last three weeks? We had uh, my father-in-law, Pastor uh, Bob Killen, and uh, everybody was raving about his singing. And, uh, and he, he preached a powerful message. And then Brian Rourke, who talked about Kokal Gracias. Barry, how much did we raise for Kokal Gracias? I don't know yet. Okay. <laughs> Must be a lot, and I'm grateful for that. But it was, it was, it was a significant amount. And, and he shared an, uh, a great message on, on having a vision to see it through, and I'm grateful for that. And then um, last Sunday, Pastor Bob Smith, I don't know if he's here today, but uh, he's not. Um, what a message, huh? That was, as I was, last week I went to Hawaii, visited my, my family and my mom, and um, I was just blown away by that message, and uh, so grateful for the courage to preach from that text as well, too. That was amazing. Um, so last week I, I got a chance to go back home to Hawaii and um, visit my family, and my mom said, Gordon, why don't you come home for Chinese New Year's, and I looked at the calendar, and I made the plans, and, and then um, it worked out that I'm so grateful for all the wonderful people that got to speak while I was gone. And my trip to Hawaii was phenomenal. I did so many, so many fun, fun things. But I have to tell you the most amazing thing about my trip to Hawaii, the greatest thing, was that on Sunday, a week ago today, I got to go to my mom's church, who recently, she, about in a little over a year now, have come to know Jesus. She's 85 years old, and I got to worship with my mom for the first time. <laughs> Glory to God. For those of you who are in a family unit here, and you come with your parents to church. Can I just tell you something? Don't take for granted the beauty that you have to worship with your parents. I see April and Natalie there and I'm getting all choked up. (laughs) That is special because in 56 years of my life, that's the first time I got to do that with my mom. And I was just bawling. And, and here was what was amazing. The whole service was in Chinese and I couldn't understand a thing. <laughs> but I looked over at her as she's singing to the same Jesus that you and I sang to today. And I got to tell you, oh. and one more thing I want to say about that. I told you my mom's 85 years old. And the moment I became a a believer, a Christian, I began to pray for the transformation and the salvation of both my mom and my dad. And for my mom, it's been over 40 years of prayer, of praying daily for my mom to come to know Jesus. Sometimes, Lord forgive me, not even believing that what I was praying would ever come to pass if you knew my mom and how apart from Jesus she was. 
But this goes to speak of the great God we serve. Amen? The persistence in prayer is, is part of what my message is about today. And so if you have your Bibles, I invite you to open it up to Luke chapter 18. And just, just hold your finger there for just a moment. Because I want to continue in my sermon series on the Lord's Prayers. That's the name of my sermon series. And over the last three chances, the last three opportunities I got to preach, I preached on the expectations of Jesus for us when it comes to prayer. So the first sermon in this series was Jesus' expectation, and then part two, and today's part three. And, um, and what I want to do is just highlight the expectations that Jesus has for prayer, for, for his people. And so in my first two sermons, we, we looked at, um, Matthew chapter 6, when Jesus is in the, in the Sermon on the Mount teaching about prayer and, and the expectations that he has. And again and again and again, Jesus says, when you pray, which gives us the expectation that his disciples, people who believe, are to be people of prayer. Amen? When, when someone says, when you do this, that's the expectation is clear. When you pray, but Every time Jesus says, when you pray, he gave us an example of how not to pray. He says, when you pray, don't pray this way. And he gave us two clear examples. Don't be like the hypocrites and don't be like the pagans. You see, the hypocrites, they pray to exalt themselves and gain all the glory and, and, and make a show of it so people think that they're so holy. And the pagans, when they pray, they pray to the gods they, they believe don't even care to hear them. And so when they pray, they fatigue the gods by babbling on and on and on and on. And finally, the gods will relent and hear their prayers. And that's, that's how the pagans prayed. And Jesus was clear when he said, don't do that. Don't pray like that. Don't be like that. Those are Jesus' expectations of how of, to, to pray and how not to pray. Because it's so easy to get caught up in how we ought to pray. But I will tell you right now that there's no secret formula in how we pray that will make God hear us better. Jesus' expectation is not about the formula to pray. Not, not to, to pray and babble or, or to make it a show of, of things. Jesus says don't be like that. You see, for Jesus, it's more important that we understand who we are praying to. Because when we, when we understand who it is, that we're praying to. Think about this now. The God of the universe who created all things. When we capture that understanding and pray knowing who we're praying to and allow that truth to direct our prayers, not so much so that we can get things from God, like so often my prayers and your prayers might be, because you're so great, God, would you do these things for me? Instead, it's 
praying to a God and giving God glory for who he is. What he has done, that is the heart of Jesus' prayers. And that makes all the difference in the world. And Jesus goes even further. And Jesus gave us two parables that taught about prayer. And the first parable, well, the, the, the two parables elevate the importance of knowing who we are praying to. The first of those I preached two weeks, three weeks ago. And that was in Luke chapter 11. If you remember the parable of the, 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 the friend at midnight. So, a friend goes to his neighbor at midnight and asks for some bread because he has guests from far away. And, and, and that neighbor was very reluctant. It's, it's late. I'm in bed with my children. I don't have... The door is locked. No. And that's totally understandable. Except when you know the culture. And the culture of Jesus' day at the time was when people come and ask, you don't say no. If you have it, you give. So the friend that came was obligated to give because guests had come to his house. So he goes to a neighbor's house. And this reluctant neighbor, the Bible tells us, gives the three loaves not because of his friendship, but to preserve his good name. And we see, we see this understanding of if this reluctant neighbor would, would give just to preserve his good name, well, how much more our Father in heaven who loves us, who knows us, and who truly cares for us, our Heavenly Father will hear our prayers and move on our behalf. That was the first parable on prayer. The second one is from Luke 18. If you have your Bibles opened up, I've invited um, Tim Fessler. Tim, would you come and read this parable for us? This is the parable of the persistent widow and the unjust judge. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared, not, feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So as we delve into this passage of Scripture today, I need to point out two really important things for us to truly understand what this parable is all about. And it's easy to point out these two really important things because they bookend the parable that Jesus gave to us. 
And these two bookends are really odd and unusual details in the parable. We read them over, easy to gloss over, because we want to get to the heart of the parable. But if we don't stop to understand the beginning and the end of this parable, we miss the whole thing. And the first odd and unique thing about this parable that Jesus gives to us is that it tells his disciples, Jesus tells, the Bible tells his disciples the meaning of the parable before Jesus shares it. That is odd. It's different. Because every parable that Jesus tells and teaches, we don't get the, the message of it until after when the disciples ask Jesus, what did you mean by that? And then Jesus will explain it. Most of the time, there's no explanation. It's just left there for us to, to ponder, to think about, to, to, to mull over, and then allow the truth to come. But here in this parable, the message of the parable is given to you right up front, and I believe for good reason. The reason, well, well, let's take a look at what the parable says right up front, okay? Verse 1, Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. And then he tells the parable. He tells them the message and the meaning of the parable before he tells the parable. You know why? Because this parable is so often misunderstood. Because when I first read it, I thought to myself, oh, this is what the parable means. And it's probably maybe what you thought it meant as well. But I think today, as we delve deeper into understanding this parable, you might go, oh, wow. Maybe what I thought this parable meant isn't what this parable was all about. Because... The message of the parable comes to us at the very beginning when Jesus, well, the Bible tells us that this is, that you should pray, always pray, and not give up. That's so important. Keep that in mind. The second unique and odd thing about this parable, you may have caught the, this, this very thing, is at the end of the parable, Jesus asks a question. And the question doesn't fit with what the parable is talking about. The question Jesus asks at the end is, however, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Jesus is talking about his coming back again, and he's, he's asking the question, is there going to be faith on earth when, when, G, when I return? And how does that fit into the parable that Jesus just talked about with the with the, with the unrighteous judge and the persistent widow. So, when we look at those two things, we, we understand something, especially the ending of the passage of Scripture. When Jesus makes reference to his coming again, he says that, he adds this little question at the end, because this passage, this, this parable is connected to Luke chapter 17. 
And in Luke chapter 17, Jesus begins a teaching that goes all the way through into Luke 18 and, and culminates in this parable. So turn your Bible page back, one, one page, and let's look at Luke chapter 17. And in Luke chapter 17, if you look at the whole thing in context, you see that this parable is connected and it's connected when the Pharisees ask Jesus a question. They ask Jesus about the coming of God's kingdom. When will the kingdom of God come to pass? They want to know when the Messiah will come and overthrow the Romans and reestablish the throne of David. That's what they want to know. And so in Luke chapter 17, beginning at verse 20, Jesus replied, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. Jesus was telling the Pharisees, I'm right here, and the kingdom is here. It's in your midst. You just don't have the eyes to see it. And so he turns from the Pharisees, and then he looks to his disciples and he begins to teach. And that teaching takes us all the way through the parable of the unrighteous judge and the persistent widow. And it begins this way. Jesus turns to his disciples. And he uses Noah and Lot as an example of, the, of, of when the kingdom comes. So in verse 26, Luke 17, 26, just as it was in the days of Noah, so also it will be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. And it was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking and buying and selling, planting and building. But in the day, but the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. And so Jesus looks to his disciples and he gives them a warning. And the warning is this. Don't be unaware. Don't be just going about doing your life thinking that everything is well. And miss the fact that God is in your midst. Be vigilant. Be diligent. Open your spiritual eyes to see what's happening around you. And then Jesus continues on. And he says, on that day, no one who is on the housetop with possessions inside should go down and get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back. For anything. In verse 32, he says this Remember Lot's wife? And if you remember the story of Lot's wife, as she was as exiting Sodom, she turned back and she was, uh, became a pillar of salt. And the, the message here is don't love the things of this world. More than God. Don't look back on, on the things that this world has to offer you and turn away like Lot's wife had turned away. 
and long for the things of this world. And then verse 33 kind of wraps it up. Whoever tries to keep their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life will preserve it. And it is in this context that when we flip the page, we go from Luke 17 to Luke 18, where we get the parable that Tim so wonderfully read for us. Because Jesus is still teaching his disciples about his returning again, his coming again. And he tells the parable of this persistent widow, and he begins with the message of the parable. After laying all of that out for his disciples, he tells this, beginning in Luke chapter 18, verse 1, Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. There's the context for you. I don't know if you're beginning to see a bigger picture But Jesus' instructions here, he gives some warnings, right? He gives us a couple of warnings. The first warning, don't turn away, right? Keep the faith. So the question is, how do you keep the faith? What is it that helps us persevere in our faith? What is it that keeps us going so that we can be vigilant and diligent and keep our hearts and eyes wide open? It's so clear. Jesus says, keep on praying. and Don't give up. That is the secret. That, and it's no secret at all. Really. It's for us to hold true and, and, and keep, always pray and not give up. And so, be diligent and vigilant and persistent and persevere in prayer. Because when you do, that keeps the fire of faith continuing to burn in your heart. And for some, it might just be a flicker. But for others, it would be a raging fire. And the the consistent prayer, the prayer life that we have, That's the fuel that keeps that fire going because you know this to be true. The battle to keep the faith fire burning in our hearts is real. That battle is so real. What causes fires to go out in our hearts? You can name it, right? The persecution that we face and we feel. Ah, People get persecuted. They say, all right, I'm done. I'm giving up. The crises in our lives, all the bad things that happen, it's so easy to lose faith. And then what Jesus tells us is on the polar opposite side of this, even when things are good, people give up their faith. In the, in the buying and selling and the, and the, the eating and the drinking and the marrying you, you, you lose sense of all that God has for you because you get desensitized when things go so good. Ah, thank you, Lord. Everything's great. I don't need you as much now. <laughs> the battle is real. How do you keep your spiritual fervor going if it's not 
by living constantly and daily in the presence of God, keeping the fire lit, even church, if it's just a flicker. Because someone else could have a flicker and you put your two lights together and before you know it, you're warmed by that fire. In tough times, it's hard. And I can get why you would lose your faith. And in good times, you can lose your faith because you can get so blunt in our sensitivity to God. And that is why Jesus asks at the end of the parable in Luke 18, when the Son of Man comes, will he even find faith on earth? Jesus asks this question at the end because he understands the condition of the human heart. Doubt and discouragement are real. Amen? If it wasn't real, if doubt and discouragement weren't a thing, you see every empty chair beside you, they'd all be filled. How many people have passed through this church that you know that aren't here anymore because of doubt and discouragement? Because of crisis? Or because of good times? All of that make for people to wander from the faith. These are reasons people stop seeking, stop surrendering, and stop praying. And so, we come back to the reason why Jesus told his disciples this parable. Jesus told his disciples this parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Now, did you notice something? I haven't even said anything about the parable. <laughs> we haven't even looked at the parable yet. So let's take a look at this parable and what this parable is saying. I thought the context was so important for us to get to so that when we talk about this parable, we can fully understand what Jesus was trying to tell us. We have a unjust judge and a persistent widow. And the judge, he doesn't fear God. He doesn't care about what people think of him or even his own reputation. And the thing about the judge that I think it's important for you to know, that Jesus characterizes him this way, because in the culture of Jesus, judges like this, their purpose, the reason they, partly the reason they existed, was to provide help to those who are helpless. Judges were put in place to be the advocate for those who had no power in the community. Judges were the equalizers. And the culture that Jesus lived in, it was their obligation, according to the Jewish law, that judges would care for widows. And Jesus made it clear that this judge didn't care for widows. 
So that's really important to know. In fact, Deuteronomy 27, 19, a great verse that speaks to that. Cursed is anyone who withholds justice from the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow. And then all the people shall say, Amen. That was their culture. They were, they were, judges were meant to care for the powerless. And in this parable, the judge had no regard for the law. He rejected the widow's requests. He didn't fear God. He didn't care about his obligations or his reputation. But the widow was determined. She was persistent in her case. And finally, because of exhaustion, right, the judge makes a decision in her favor. So what's the message, church? The message that I came, came away with may be the same message that you would come away with. And that is to continue to go to God in prayer again and again and again until he relents like this judge relented to this persistent widow. Is that the message? Be persistent in prayer. Just keep hammering God again and again with your prayer requests. Is that what you get? Because Jesus already told us not to pray like that. Like the pagans that just babble to persistently wear out the the, the God who's listening. (laughs) That's the easy answer to this question. What is this parable about? That's what I had thought for years. Just keep hammering God. But I will tell you that that is not the message of this parable. Because Jesus already told us, do not pray like the pagans pray. And there is absolutely no parallel to the self-righteous judge and to God. Because God does not work that way. So what is the lesson, church? What's the lesson? The lesson here is similar, same, maybe exactly the same as the lesson that we get in Luke chapter 11. And it is a lesson of contrast. A message. If the unjust judge that doesn't fear God or care about the widow, if even that person would do good by her, how much more your loving Heavenly Father, the righteous God, the generous Father, will hear your prayers for justice. It's a message, a message of contrast. Luke 18 and Luke 11, they they are parables that, that pair so well together. They both teach about prayer using parables. They both use contrast as a way to teach. In Luke 11, the contrast is of the reluctant neighbor who's obligated and gives because of obligation. And Jesus says, if, if there's a person that gives just out of obligation, how much more will your Father in heaven who loves you and knows you give what you ask? And then in the 
unrighteous judge. If this unrighteous judge that cared nothing about the widow, nothing about the law, if this judge cared nothing about his reputation and yet still can help, how much more God will help you. Both parables also have a message of persistence and perseverance in prayer, though. And this is the tricky part. This is the tension of what we're trying to get at. To be devoted to prayer, to not give up on prayer, but to not think that our prayers are badgering to God. That is why Jesus made it so clear for us to know who we're praying to. Not to pester God, but to help our faltering faithlessness grow stronger day by day, whether it's in times of crisis or in good times of plenty. Kind of makes me think about the 40 years of praying for my mom. More than 40 years. Sometimes, forgive me, Lord, I was just pestering God. Do it, Lord. Do it, do it, do it, do it for me. Come on. Until I began to learn about prayer more. Who am I praying to? My heavenly Father who loves me and who loves my mom. Gordon, I want to grant that. Keep praying. And I will tell you this. Truth. 100%. I look back on those years of praying and most of it (laughs) was for me in the end. To keep my faith going. To make sure that I'm a good example to her. As I prayed for her, I know I can't just go about doing whatever I want and say, hey, you should believe in Jesus, Mom. As my life goes way far astray, that doesn't work. My prayers kept me grounded and rooted in the faith that I have so that I can continue to be the example and the voice to my mom so that one day she can know Jesus. And when that prayer is answered, I cannot tell you what a difference that made for my faith. As I sat there in that sanctuary looking out over about 130 people in chi- worshiping God in Chinese, and two seats over, my mom there is singing to the same Jesus I am. That's my reward. Oh, glory to God. And so, Hebrews 5.7 gives us a picture of Jesus' example of his persistent prayer life. During the days of Jesus, I'm sorry, I can't see this anymore. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Jesus prayed fervently, and he prayed frequently with reverent submission because he knew who he was praying to. 
not to manipulate God, but to express his deep love, his deep need, and his deep request. Church, we are called to pray and not give up. And it's important to know that it's not so much how we pray, but who we pray to that matters. And Jesus' expectation is for us to know that when we pray, we pray to our Heavenly Father and that we should pray and not give up. Will you bow your heads and join me in prayer? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we pray that you give us today our daily bread and forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And Father, we thank you for opening up room in your family to call us your children. May we come to you as that, you being our Abba Father, and we being your children. And we don't have to manipulate you. We don't have to babble on and on. Because you know our prayers before we even ask. And remind us, if we are parents, how much we love when our children come to us and just want to spend time and tell us how much they love us. I long for that from my children. And I know, Lord, you long for that from us. Thank you, God, for being who you are. In your name we pray.